eyes in the skies, the Pentagon is currently tracking a suspected Chinese spy balloon flying over the U.S. It's been lingering over a military base, raising all sorts of security alarms. Gliding in at around the same size as three buses end-to-end, the balloon is visible from Earth. Secretary of State Antony Blinken now canceling his upcoming China trip. China, meanwhile, saying the balloon simply tracks the weather and blew off course. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. An alleged Chinese spy balloon flying above a U.S. military base. Its presence sparked Secretary of State Blinken to cancel his Beijing trip should the U.S. shoot down the balloon. Let's take a closer look. This video, captured in the city of Billings, Montana, shows what appears to be the suspected Chinese spy balloon. It's believed the craft floated in from Canada before crossing into airspace over Montana. Beijing says it regrets the occurrence, but insisted it had no intention of violating U.S. airspace. It claims the balloon is a weather research satellite that blew off course. Despite Beijing's claim, Secretary of State Antony Blinken has postponed a high-profile diplomatic trip to China scheduled this weekend. The abrupt decision came just hours before Blinken was due to depart Washington for Beijing and dealt a new hit to already strained U.S.-China relations. President Biden has talked about keeping lines of communication open to the Chinese government. And Secretary Blinken's trip to the People's Republic of China in the coming days was part of that effort. So this creates a complication uh, for both the United States and China to discuss, and it's an unfortunate uh, provocation. That's as the Pentagon said it had very high confidence that the surveillance balloon had been sent by China to the U.S. to collect sensitive information. It's estimated the balloon is around three bus lengths in size. F-22 fighter jets were launched, set to shoot it out of the sky. But Pentagon leaders opted against doing so, for fear that large debris could pose a safety threat. When you get a big package like this that can carry a lot of kit, it's concerning to know what they're actually after. Breedlove suggested the possibility that the Chinese regime was trying to provoke a preemptive response. If we shoot down a Chinese uh, object over our airspace. Um, is that a precedent that we can live with? Would we then set a precedent whereby we think we're flying in international space near China, but they believe it's Chinese airspace and they take the same action that we Montana is home to the Malmstrom Air Force Base. The facility houses 150 intercontinental ballistic missile silos. The Pentagon says the military has taken measures to conceal any sensitive information that could be spotted from such a craft. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy took to Twitter to voice outrage, writing, China's brazen disregard for U.S. sovereignty is a destabilizing action that must be addressed. The suspected spy balloon has now floated its way over to Kansas and Nebraska. In a Twitter post, Kansas Senator Roger Marshall confirmed the news and said his staff is in contact with law enforcement officials. The balloon most likely passed through either Wyoming or South Dakota in order for it to reach Kansas. The Pentagon has declined to give real-time updates on the craft's location. Next, we hear from Frank Gaffney with the Committee on the President of China for his take on the spy balloon and why the U.S. hasn't shot it down. I want to start with this Chinese spy balloon that's been making all the headlines right now. It seems, you know, often we do get spy balloons, but not really lingering in places. So what's really different and significant about this case? It's not entirely clear what the purpose is. It's been described as a weather balloon. Uh, 
it's possible that they have a keen interest in the weather over our ICBM silos, but there may be other things that are of interest to them, including monitoring communications in those silos. Another thing that has come to our attention, and I have to say is of special concern, is the possibility that this balloon could be used to deliver a potentially catastrophically devastating attack against our country with a single nuclear weapon. If it is detonated actually a bit higher altitude than this balloon is at at the moment, but it can presumably take a nuclear weapon if it has one aboard to that altitude, it could generate what's known as an electromagnetic pulse, which the Chinese well understand could devastate the electric grid of our country. And Frank, why hasn't the U.S. shot this balloon down? It seems advisors were advising President Biden not to do it in case it would hurt American civilians on the ground. But maybe what are some other reasons why we wouldn't just shoot it down? There aren't as many people over the areas that this balloon has been operating in as uh, there could be if should it go elsewhere uh, over urban areas, for example. But that may not be the most important consideration. Um, I think clearly this administration has been very reluctant to challenge the Chinese, uh, that it has been trying very pointedly to describe them as, well, um, competitors, not adversaries, let alone the mortal enemies that the Chinese communists are. I've been told that there are some questions about um, the difficulties associated with actually shooting such a balloon down, um, at least with gunfire. Uh, but I, the real reason, I suspect, is probably some combination of all of those. A top House lawmaker is demanding information from climate envoy John Kerry over his negotiations with the Chinese Communist Party. The request comes from U.S. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, who is also accusing Kerry of failing to hand over information related to his role on the National Security Council. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. John Kerry is the Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, or SPEC. Comer accuses Kerry of engaging in activities that could undermine the nation's economic health, skirt congressional authority, and threaten foreign policy under the guise of climate advocacy. The congressman is calling for documents and information to understand Kerry's role. During last year's World Economic Forum in Davos, Kerry said the United States was making progress with China on climate issues. Here's Kerry on Bloomberg. We're hoping we can work with China to encourage China in certain things that we think would make a difference. The climate envoy said, quote, maybe we can help with technology of some kind to help China move faster. Maybe China could help us better understand some things we could do better. At last month's World Economic Forum, Kerry said that the key to combating global warming is, quote, money, 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 money. The biggest frustration right now with respect to moving rapidly on the, in dealing with the climate crisis is the lack of available concessionary funding. Comer strongly criticized those statements. He said, quote, as a member of the president's cabinet, you should be representing the United States' interests. Your statements, however, consistently show disregard for American national security and taxpayer dollars. 
Comer is also accusing Kerry of downplaying China's human rights violations. In April 2021, Kerry said, quote, We have differences on human rights, but those differences do not have to get in the way of something that is as critical as dealing with climate. Comer says Kerry has until February 16th to comply with his panel's document request. He is asking for budgets, an employee list, and all communications between the SPEC office and environmental advocacy groups or foreign government officials. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. An investigation is accusing a member of Congress of having ties to Chinese intelligence. According to the Daily Caller, California Congresswoman Judy Chu joined a nonprofit called the All America Chinese Youth Federation in 2012. The group's official website describes her as an honorary president. The report says five members of the Federation's leadership have been involved with certain Chinese organizations. These groups are believed to function as intelligence gathering arms for Beijing, all of them allegedly working for China's United Front Work Department. The state agency is tasked with expanding the Chinese Communist Party's influence overseas often through media, propaganda, and other means. Experts say it's involved with Chinese espionage efforts. Zooming in on Chu's ties to All-America Chinese Youth Federation, her responsibilities as honorary president for the AACYF are unknown. Though she's taken on leadership roles for events hosted by the group. The report says she took on the title of chairman during a 2013 tech summit in Silicon Valley. As for her actions on Capitol Hill, the congresswoman recently chose not to support the formation of a new House Select Committee. The initiative would focus on probing Beijing's influence and infiltration on U.S. soil. Explaining her reasoning, Chu cited anti-Asian violence as a risk of creating the committee. Chu did not respond to a press request for comment. Chinese leader Xi Jinping's ambitions toward Taiwan should not be underestimated. That's the warning U.S. Central Intelligence Agency Director William Burns gave on Thursday at Georgetown University in Washington. He said the message is based on intelligence the United States obtained, that she had directed his military to prepare for an invasion of Taiwan by 2027. Though that doesn't mean he actually intends to carry out an invasion. Burns added that the Chinese leader was likely surprised and unsettled and trying to draw lessons from what Burns called the very poor performance of Russia's military in Ukraine. Russia and China signed a partnership without borders last February, shortly before Russian forces invaded Ukraine. Their economic ties have grown as Russia's relations with the West have shrunk. The Russian incursion had fueled fears in the West that China might make a similar move on Taiwan. Beijing has not condemned the Russian operation against Ukraine, but it has been wary of providing material support that could trigger Western sanctions, like those against Moscow. Over on Capitol Hill, House of Representatives passed a resolution denouncing socialism. The bill received overwhelming bipartisan support during the Thursday vote. But not everyone was on board. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more. The bill denouncing the horrors of socialism passed in a bipartisan vote of 327 to 86. All Republicans and 109 Democrats voted in favor of the measure. 13 Democrats voted present. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says it's concerning that the number of Democrats that voted no and present combined came close to 100. 100 Democrats couldn't say socialism was wrong. 
That's a scary point of view, but you also understand why we're in a spending problem that they are when they were in the majority. That's why you understand the challenges that we have here. Some Democrats who opposed the bill argued Republicans were making false connections between the policies they are pushing for and those supported by communists. They expressed concern over future cuts to Social Security and Medicare programs. It's a big lie. We'll discover socialism is essentially unprecedentedly brutal, characterized by depriving every citizen in the society of basic human rights, freedoms, and even wealth and dignity, so that every citizen in this society is enslaved, even arbitrarily killed by this powerful regime. The system is tyranny. Republican Representative Mike Lawler said that communism has put people into a permanent state of poverty and government dependence. The bill was introduced by Representative Maria Salazar. She grew up in Fidel Castro's Cuba and experienced the deprivation of basic essentials, a feature historically present in socialist states. Salazar argued in the bill that socialism is contrary to the founding principles of the United States and that socialist ideology necessitates a concentration of power that has time and time again collapsed into communist regimes, totalitarian rule, and brutal dictatorships. She noted socialism has repeatedly led to famine, mass murders, and the killing of over 100 million people worldwide. Socialism emphasizes loyalty to the Communist Party over human nature. What does that mean? It means you have to give up your conscience, even your basic nature, for the political needs of the party. It's an ideology that creates evil values that disregard human life. The resolution concluded with the declaration that Congress denounces socialism in all its forms and opposes the implementation of socialist policies in the United States of America. With the resolution's passage through the House, it could now be taken up in the Senate. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Next, let's zoom in on the U.S. tech sector. In Kansas, officials are planning to hand over more than $300 million in incentives. The taxpayer-funded money is slated for a semiconductor company to build a new factory in the state's largest city. But there's a catch. The project won't go forward without funds promised by the federal government for rebuilding the nation's chip-making capacity. According to Governor Laura Kelly on Thursday, Kansas has an agreement with Integra Technologies. It features a 10-year package of tax breaks and expense reimbursement. Costs for the company's new plant will total $1.8 billion. It will cover 1 million square feet, have 2,000 employees, and create 3,000 additional jobs among suppliers and other local businesses. Kelly told reporters that the state's incentives are crucial to attracting the needed federal funds. She said the plant will be part of a national push to restore the country's semiconductor industry so that U.S. workers and businesses can compete and win in the race for the 21st century. Integra CEO declined to say how much federal funding the company needs. The U.S. is trying to reverse a loss of capacity for making microchips and combat a shortage worsened by the pandemic, as well as reduce dependence on Asian suppliers. Coming up, the West versus an authoritarian regime. What can each of them offer to companies looking to boost profits? And is now the time for the economic sector to choose a side? We sat down with Sam Brownback, former U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom for more. His remarks right after the break, here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The battle between the West and the Chinese communist regime reflected through their handling of human rights and the economy. But what do the long-term effects of each strategy look like? At the International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington this week, we sat down with Sam Brownback, former U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom, for his take. Ambassador Brownback, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I want to zoom in first on Africa, because Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was just there. It seems the U.S. is paying more attention there, and it seems China has been paying a lot of attention to that whole continent. So why is Africa so important? It'll be the largest population continent in the world uh, by the end of this decade. We're not talking about that long. It's a young continent. It's full of natural resources. And it's got conflict just really brewing all over. China's already been there ahead of us, trying to really pre-position itself in a better pot, in a better spot. And so it really deserves a lot of attention, needs our attention. And it seems when we look at parts of Africa, one area that often is brought up is the cobalt there. And we, right now we have this push into the green revolution or the green energy sector that needs these like lithium ion batteries. And cobalt is a big factor. And it seems when that comes up, it has to do with, say, slave labor, even child labor. There's reports of like even as young as six-year-olds mining these cobalt. And a lot of it seems to tie into China. So what do you see in terms of like the green movement, but also human rights? Well, a huge amount of abuse. Uh, one of the last bills uh, I got through the Congress that I, that I carried through that was conflict commodities uh, in the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. And what we were trying to hold down were these militias that were governing or over these mining operations that were then, you know, in, enslaving people, trafficking women, and then using the sale of the minerals to buy more militia, to buy more guns, to do more of it. And so we're saying we're not going to buy these uh, these products, uh, these minerals from here unless they come from a licensed operation. But the Chinese were fine with buying it. So then they get access to it and they keep paying for that and then the cycle of abuse uh, continues in, in those regions. I, I think these are really things you, you've got to get at the root uh, of it and you got to say then, okay, if the Chinese are going to do that, we will not buy the consumer goods, we will not buy the environmental products that come out of China that are tied with slave labor or the marketing and trafficking of people. There was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, I think, last year, saying Biden has to choose, President Biden has to choose between climate change and the human rights happening in China. And it seems recently there's also some talk about that, where Biden had repealed these tariffs on select solar panels coming from certain Asian countries. And the concern there is, even though maybe these countries aren't China, it still originated from China into these countries and then into America. So. Maybe it's from East Turkestan or Xinjiang and has slave labor involved. So how do we balance that, those two sides? Well, I, I think it's a false choice to say that you can't be environmental without having the products come from China. We may have to get more um, imaginative on our supply chains. We may have to go to places that price a little higher than what China is. But I think it's worth it to us, and I think it's worth it to the American people and the West. I shouldn't say just America, really. It should be the entire West 
that these products come from places uh, where people are free. Uh, and we may have to take some more time to get our supply chains coming out of countries that, that aren't tied in to China, but we can do it. And zooming in on that, how important is human rights to national security? And we think it's central to human existence. And so we're not giving as many people passes as we used to. And in, in ways, it kind of throws people somewhat into China's hands, because if it's an autocratic regime, they start looking at it saying, well, the Chinese don't ask any questions. You guys ask questions all the time. And so there's a tension there. Well, we don't want you to join China's world of influence. We are in a Cold War. We're going to operate that way. These are not going to be integrated economies anymore. And you can pick. You either pick the Chinese economy or you pick the economy of the West. And I really believe most major companies in most countries will pick the economy of the West and not the economy that's associated with China because of the long-term trajectory of the two. This one is a, a very dogmatic, dictatorial uh, regime that has no respect for human rights, and ours is a, a way towards human flourishing and human existence. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.